Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. If you will, go ahead and open with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. One of the things we like to do is we kind of move from book to book, from section to section in Scripture. We've just finished the book of Hebrews. Sometimes we'll, we'll incorporate into our Sunday morning service uh, concepts from the Scripture that help us to figure out a theme. And one of the things that we believe at Calvary, because we believe the Scriptures promote this, is that preaching is central to the church. But we often ask ourselves, what's, whose job is it? Like, what does the word do? What does the preacher do? And what do you, the listener, do? And so we're kind of in the middle of that right now. We, we talked about last week this reality of the word of God does not center on man itself. But the word of God centers itself on the glory of God and his redemptive plan, which ultimately drives us, runs us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've read the scriptures, right? We've read where... God says he spoke to Abraham or he spoke to Paul on the Damascus Road in a variety of ways and things. My question is, does God still speak today? <coughs> Excuse me. Does God still speak today? And if the answer is yes, and that is in his word, then we, God's people, must be intentional to give energy, to give time, to give attention to the preaching of God's word and the study of it on our own. Now, in a, in a day like ours, there's numerous concepts discussed regarding ministry of the word. And this idea of ministry of the word, it means how does the word serve God's people? What is its purpose? How does it help us? What does it do? We, we talked about that's beholding the glory of God. We are transformed. We are saved and sanctified. And we need to ask, though, is there still place for preaching in the world today? Where everybody can read most things in scripture, is there still a need for preaching? Or maybe you're here today and you think preaching is just it's outdated, maybe even a little dull. And first let me clarify, this does not mean that I'm saying the only time you open your Bibles on Sunday mornings. That is not what I'm saying. The Bible is full of calls for us to be evangelists to unbelievers, that we are to offer words of encouragement to one another, that we are to exhort and rebuke in all wisdom, to speak truth and love, to let the words of Christ dwell richly in us. These are all sections of scripture and there's numerous ways the new testament reminds us that the word serves us on a personal level and we utilize it to serve others but there is something special about the way the new testament describes the preaching of god's word and its centrality to our well-being one man standing before a group of others holding god's word before them and just communicating truth what does that look like Excuse me, if someone could maybe grab me a glass of water, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. We at Calvary, we, we have a membership covenant. Maybe you're, you're not a member of our church or you're, you're new here and, and you don't understand this idea of a membership covenant. A covenant is, a, is an agreed upon set of principles found in God's word that we say, yes, we celebrate, we desire, and we pursue. And here's what one of them says. We will not neglect to gather together, but we'll support the biblical preaching of God's word and treasure the whole counsel of God. 
So that's something we believe the Bible says we should be about. But have you ever asked yourself, what is preaching? I mean, you come and you hear it every Sunday morning, but have you ever asked yourself, what is it? You can say, well, I didn't like that one. I did like that one. Thank you. We can see these variety of things. But something interesting in Scripture is that it actually holds up preaching in a way that I think will be profitable for us today. Excuse me. Let's do, go ahead and read the text for us today. And then we're going to pray and ask God to help. So 2 Timothy, and again, we're answering the question, what is preaching and why is it profitable for us, God's people? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. We're going to start with verse 1, but we're going to focus in on verse 2 as we get together. It's on page 996. If you don't have a copy of God's word, let's open and read there. This is what God says. I charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For for there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away. From listening to the truth and wandering into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we get to be a people who come together to sing your praises. Father, what... What joy fills our hearts as we set our mind and our voices on declaring that God is sufficient, that, that all the world will sing his praises one day. Father, that because of the resurrection, there should be dancing in the midst of our darkness. Father, that we believe we, we need the eternal words and those are only found in Christ himself. Father, we sing these things and we confess our sins. And now we come, Father, to hear from you. Through your word. So we plead, asking that you would train us to rightly understand the preaching of God's word. We ask this ultimately, Lord, for your glory. But in that, we ask for our joy. And for the exaltation of Christ, we pray these things in his name. Amen. It's kind of interesting. So what I'm basically doing is I'm telling you how to critique me. Or Pastor David. Which is kind of interesting. So I'm saying, this is what the Bible holds up as preaching. And so this is what you should look for in preaching. Does it make sense? I mean, if, if I wanted to make my job a little easier right now, I could, I could kind of water it down or I could speed it up or I could do whatever I wanted to do with it. But, but that's the very essence of the Bible. It will not let us do that. But I love one author, and I think he's right when he says this. The proper aim of preaching is to mediate a meeting with God. To mediate a meeting with God. What does he mean? Well, he means because the Bible is God's word. That's what we call it, right? God's word. And it describes itself as living and active. It describes itself as the very breath of God, profitable for all types of things in the life of a believer or unbeliever. When we read God's word, we are actually encountering God. We are seeing 
God. We are understanding his purposes and plans and redemption. And we are coming face to face with the reality of Christ. Preaching is so that we might encounter Christ. That we might see his words. We might understand his work. And we might behold his glory. This is the essence of preaching. And I think this is kind of ironic. Because we live in a culture in America and in the South where people desperately want to encounter God. We hear it all the time. Oh, I just wish God would speak to me. Oh, I wish I could just have an encounter with God like I had back when I was this or that. Brothers and sisters, you encounter God every time you open his word. Every Sunday do you come with an anticipation of a faithful teaching of God's word. And in doing so, I'm encountering God himself. Yes, God speaks and communicates in a variety of ways, but primarily, and I would say most dominantly, He communicates to us in His Scriptures. People try tarot cards or deep meditation or a variety of things to meet God. And what I'm holding before you, that the Scriptures are holding before you, is that He is speaking even now to you, saying, quit looking for me in the clouds. Quit looking for me in the newspaper I've made a provision of my revelation of myself and the glories of my work in the scriptures now this is much different yes than reading a biography I love reading biographies I get done reading a biography and I feel like I really know the person I just read about I'm like I know that guy but the problem is as I've never met the guy do I really know him Yes, I may know certain things about him, but, but when we read the Bible, we're not saying meet God in that way like you read a biography of a dead person. Instead, we're saying we encounter the true living God in his word. As the word is preached and explained, we encounter Christ. So how does this text help us to understand that? Well, I think it gives us four key things that we need to be looking for in the preaching of God's word. Four key things. This is a summary statement of kind of what they are. Preaching is the exposing of the glories of Christ from the word and a compelling and understandable way so that we encounter Christ. I'll say that again. Preaching is exposing the glories of Christ from the word in a compelling and understandable way so that people encounter Christ. Let's look back at the text as we walk through these. But as we do so, be mindful. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Who are these guys, Paul and Timothy? These aren't just anybody's in the storyline of the story of God and his redemptive purposes. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, called apart, set apart by God. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, one who was persecuting the church till God broke into his life and saved him on the Damascus road. And then he sent him out. He sent them out to be the one who would advance the gospel to the Gentile nations. And we read in the book of Acts that Paul found this young man named Timothy and said, come along with me, walk with me. And he walked with him for several years and then he finally sent him out to be a pastor himself in the church, most likely the church of Ephesus. And Paul's about to be dead. This is one of his last letters written While he was in jail in Rome. And he's reminding Paul. And he says to him here. Look what he says. I charge you. 
So this is like Paul's, in essence, what he's doing. He's saying, I'm a, an apostolic preacher, right? So I've been given the, entrusted with the, the gospel deposit of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, by saying these words, he's handing the baton of the gospel message over to Timothy. And he's saying, this is what you're called to do. This is the charge that I'm giving to you. Because this is the charge God has given to those who are preachers. He's been entrusted with a gospel deposit, and Paul believes that this gospel deposit should be stewarded all the way till Christ's return. Paul challenges Timothy all the time. He says, not only that, but don't forget, he says in chapter 2, train up men who will continue to do this after you. And what's interesting is if you really read the flow up to this section, I think Paul would say this, as the preaching goes, so goes the church. As the preaching goes, so goes the church. Whatever the church is primarily being fed from and heard and being proclaimed from the pulpit, they will become that type of a people. Let me say it this way. If there's only moralistic preaching from the pulpit, you will only have self-righteous people in the pews. Moralistic preaching is this idea of, you must do, you must do, you must do. Now there are imperatives in the scriptures, but again, if that's all that's heard is you must do, then all you're going to have is self-righteous people in the pews. Motivational preaching. If all you hear is how much worth and value you have and all of this, and and there's all this constant call, all you're going to have is self-absorbed people in the pews. Focused only on themselves. Yet, if we hear Christ-exalting preaching, we will see Christ-exalting people in the pews. The preaching of the Bible matters immensely. And Paul is charging Timothy here. And it sounds funny. You feel like, well, I really, you just need to preach this, tell this to Pastor David or, or those guys that are showing up on Thursday. This is the only people that really need to hear this. No, this is what you all need to hear. Because if the Lord should move you from this place, you need to know to have to get into the right place where you hear faithful preaching of the word. So first, understand this. Paul or any other part of the Bible does not tell us there is a style or an exact form of preaching. The Bible does not say it must be funny or it must not be funny. The preacher must cry. The preacher must yell. None of that's in the scriptures, right? We, we don't see anything about style or exact form. It doesn't mean there's three points, two points, ten points, eighteen points. Some preachers are funny. Others are not. See, I was even hoping to get a little laugh there and it didn't work. I told you, just, that doesn't happen for some of us. But here's what you must understand. The personality of the preacher is going to be infused into the preaching. It will happen. And praise God, you've got two pastors with two totally different personalities. And so you get two different styles of preaching. But one gospel message. And I praise God because I think that benefits us as a congregation. And as the Lord continues to raise up more men, you're going to hear multiple styles of preaching from this pulpit. But look in verse 2. Because we see five imperatives and one prepositional phrase. If you like to underline, I think it's good and helpful. 
Just so you can see them. We see the five prepositions or, excuse me, imperatives or verbs in verse 2. Look at them with me. First he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Five imperatives, five verbs there. And then he gives us a prepositional phrase kind of to, to explain it at the end. He says, with complete patience and teaching. And do you notice something? Did you notice, at least in the ESV, if you're looking at the end of preach the word, what do you see there? A semicolon. Now, this is not in the original text, but this is the author, the, the people, the publisher saying, what do you need to understand about these verbs is they all, the latter four, they push us back to preach. So they're intentionally giving us a semicolon there saying, preach the word. Now, all these things connect back to preach. It's not just a series of sequential things that have no order alongside each other. He's saying all five of these, four, the back four, point back to the first one. Does that make sense? <coughs> and so in doing so, we can understand lots of things about this preaching of the word. First, the word preached is the word preached. It's the first message. Preaching is word-centered. Preaching is word-centered. What do I mean by that? Well, I remember when my mom, when I was much younger, I don't know if you notice this about me, I, I, can, I get distracted sometimes easily with a variety of things. It can happen. Um, praise God, he's been developing and cultivating me and uh, an ability to stay focused. But when my mom, when I was much younger, she had to be very specific with me when she gave me any type of instructions. She could not simply say, Josh, go clean. Because immediately what Josh is going to go do, he's going to start thinking, what's the easiest thing I can clean right now? Oh, my toothbrush. Okay, I clean my toothbrush. I'm done. See, instead she had to be very specific. She would have to say, go clean. And she would give me what is attached to your room. And she did this knowing that we have a propensity when we hear words to sometimes go to the easiest or to the wrong things. And so Paul is very intentional. He just doesn't say, preach. He says, preach what? What does it say in verse 2? The word. The same word that just the chapter before, he says, is the very breath of God for God's people. Paul has given explicitness to the content of preaching. Preaching's content is word-centered. Scripture-centered. Bible-focused. We should hear often and frequently from preachers, look here and see what it's saying. Look there and understand what's going on. Now there's times you look up at me, but, but ultimately my points, my concepts that I'm proclaiming in my sermon, I should show you and explain to you how it came from God himself. Why? Because that's where the authority's at. Because that's where the power's at. Sermons are not pastors' thoughts about a variety of subjects, but they are, they are the meditations and exegetical work. Exegetical means just how does the text divide up? And pastors are not free to preach their ideas, but we are tethered to, we're attached to God's word. And this is for two reasons. Go back and look at 316 just above this. He's in the middle of this long explanation. There's coming at the end of the days, these last days that we're in, Godless times. And he says, but all scripture in verse 16 is breathed out by God and profitable 
for teaching, for proof, correction, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, a person may be an outstanding communicator. He may be an outstanding orator. He may get you fired up. But there is only power in the preaching of God's word when God's word is actually preached. Does that make sense? Not just preach, but preach according to how he has described it to be preached. (coughs) Excuse me. This does not mean that all preaching has to be expository preaching. And you're like, what in the world is that? That means when literally, we, like we do that a lot here, we go systematically from verse 1 of a book to the end of a verse, that the points of the sermon come from the points of the text. We think that's profitable and good and one of the best ways to understand. But that doesn't mean that's the only type of biblically good preaching. There are times where topical sermons are okay, as long as they're not just giving you their ideas. Their thoughts, but they're constantly pushing you back to the word, showing you this is where I would gather this from. This is where God explains this particular concept. We do this sometimes. We're doing it right now. I'm in a text, but it's in a topical sermon. We've done it before with God and emotions. We've done it before in other things. But we know that the Bible is necessitating saying, I must be preached and you must preach me. Which is really interesting. I must be preaching, you must preach me. Brothers, sisters, this means you must read and you must read me. Not me, the book. This is the essence of our life. The food, the nourishment that we need. But not only that, look at verses 3 and 4. We read them again. Another reason why we must preach the word is that we have to understand there's a time coming, Paul predicting something that... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he saw coming. He says, there's time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You see, part of our fallen condition, part of the effects of the fall on us as human beings is this. We want to be affirmed. We love to be affirmed. We constantly want to be affirmed in life. But the problem isn't that we want to be affirmed with what we already know, what we already believe, what we already consider good and beautiful and true. I mean, if you think about it, right, this is why in our culture we see uh, not only are people saying, I want, I want this legalized, but I want you to say you're okay in it. But you know what? We do the same thing, church. We show up sometimes on Sunday with our preconceptions of ideas of what we need to do. And we just want to be infirmed. We just want you to tell me, I'm okay. Everything about my life's okay. You're good. You're awesome. You're great. And the text doesn't always do that. Look at the two words, the three words he uses in verse 2 again. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So preaching is going to do what? Offend us sometimes. Now, in the South, we love it, right? You're like, ooh, that was a good toe-stomping sermon. Right? We, we hear that phrase thrown around a lot. But a good toe-stomping sermon, apart from biblical truth, is still unprofitable. We do the same thing, right? We, we like to accumulate for ourselves teachers who suit our own passions. But you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, we can understand this idea, can't we? Because life would be a whole lot easier if I never had to think about what I do and just infirmed at everything I already do. Life would be so much easier. 
You see, God, though, he does not accommodate people. He doesn't come to us on giving us the things that we already believe to be good and true. He comes to us and he says, you know what you need? You need me. And I love this because what he offers us is himself. So Psalm 18, 30 says, This God, his way is perfect and the word of the Lord always proves true. Why? He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. God's goal in telling us in his word the truth is that it reflects his desire to grant us himself. How beautiful is this that God is honest with you enough to say, stop acting like that's going to satisfy you and look at me, the greatest glory that's ever been, the greatest refuge that's ever been. And Paul's charging Timothy, preach the word. Why? Because the word holds beholding the glory of God. It alone can satisfy our deepest longings. So what would happen? What would happen if preaching is not word-centered? Then we will be a people tossed to and fro by any wave and wind of doctrine that comes through our lives or this culture. I don't know about you. I don't want to be that guy that the next president makes my heart go, oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or the next bill that comes in my mail, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or the next doctor's visit or whatever. Those things, yes, we, we, we contemplate and we realize them. But brothers and sisters, if the word is true that we preach Christ and him crucified and his resurrection for our life and death, then it means the word anchors you in God. And God is a solid anchor. God is an unchanging fortress. God is a strong tower. God is a gentle and lowly master. He is someone who will satisfy your deepest longings. So when we hear preaching, we should hear preaching that is word-centered. But not only that, look at the next section. The next four imperatives that follow in verse 2. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Now let me not say this... Excuse me, let let me say what the text is not saying here. And it's not saying that preaching is manipulative. It's not saying that thus saith the pastor, thus saith you do. Preaching is not manipulative, but preaching is absolutely persuasive. Preaching is persuasive. It's more than a history lesson. It's more than a commentary on technical terms of the Greek or Hebrew These things are good and these things are profitable. But the preaching of God's word should be persuasive. This is what these words teach us. Look at them again. Be ready in season and out of season. And definitely this connects back to verses 3 and 4 because there's going to be growing a time when people want to itch their ears. But it also carries the idea of a text and its people are known. Think of it this way. If I'm preaching to you and I grew up in Seattle, Washington... I didn't understand the culture or the context or you or what's going on in your life or your situations. And I'm preaching to you from what I already know. You're not going to understand me. There's a different culture. There's a different climate. I need to have one ear to the text as the preacher and one ear to the people as a preacher. One eye on the text and one eye on the congregation. Ebbing and flowing together. Preaching this primarily. But so that these people can be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. As a soccer coach, you are not an effective soccer coach if you only have your eye on the opponent. You've got to also have your eye on your own team. How are they doing? In the same way, a preacher must have his eye on the text and his congregation in order to be ready in season and out of season. 
Now, the church is not an enemy or the opponent, like in an analogy with a soccer coach, but they are called to know them well. Again, these words reprove and rebuke and exhort. These, these have this idea of, you know, every time you hear preaching, you should think there's something I'm calling, being called to respond to. Every time preaching happens, you should feel and should hear there's some type of a response that comes from this text. That comes from the attribute or characteristics of God that's being highlighted and being shown for us here. This is why we always try to give you questions to ask at the dinner table on Sunday afternoon. So that you don't forget what's going on. Sometimes we'll say things like, hey, and that would be a good question to ask the person you're bringing over to your house for dinner. This would be a good way, men, moms, to go talk with us about your children. Us cultivating this idea of what was the one draw you gained about yourself of the glory of God in the text this week. These kind of things need to be cultivated among us because we believe, as he says, there's going to be a call to respond and we must be rebuked, reproved, and exhorted. God speaks in the word and the preacher explains and pleads persuasively so that people might respond to having an encounter with God himself through his word. And this will look and will sound different depending on where you're at. Again, not changing the message but changing maybe delivery style depending on the audience. Think about it. Do we think God is that uncreative that he only gives us one way to say something? I mean, think of Paul, right? Paul went to different cultures and different people and he preached to them in different ways. He he went into the synagogue and he, he would highlight Jesus to them and then when they would reject him, he would go out to the marketplace and he would preach to them in the, in, in the way that the Gentiles would understand and then he would go to the next place and Jesus himself did the same thing. Preaching must be persuasive. It may be calling you to respond. It must be convincing you, compelling you, drawing you into something. Which means preaching needs to have points of application. Now, I'm not claiming preachers need to be the Holy Spirit and tell you exactly what you need to do, but we we need to assist. We need to walk alongside the Word and calling specific application out of people. They must be woven into sermons. What you didn't realize is I just did that two seconds ago, right? I just told you one of the things you need to be doing is talking about the sermons when you go to the table. That's a point of application. I'm exhorting you to do something. But what happens if we're not persuasive? What what happens if preaching does not think of the people that are hearing the word? If preaching is not persuasive, then most of the time, people are always going to assume it's the person next to him he's talking to and not me. You ever been there? Like, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I mean, that is spot on what he needs to hear. And if it's not persuasive, if you don't have your ear to your congregation, and you're not thinking of your youngest and your oldest, you're not thinking of your occupations that are going on, you're not thinking of your times and situations in life that you find yourself, we always think the the preacher's talking about the other person. So yes, there are times in church where people have hard hearts to the truth, but as it is, the job of the preacher is to help draw the listener into the beauty of the scriptures. We do this through persuasive preaching. So preaching is word-centered, 
And preaching is persuasive, but also heard is not clear. But if truly be understood, then it cannot. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Sound like Yoda, right? But also heard is not clear, but if only truly be understandable, it can be not. You hear that and you're like, well, what, what, what did you say? I didn't quite understand you. Have you ever sat preaching before and you're like, I heard Jesus and I, I just, I couldn't get it. I, don't, I missed what was trying to go on there. You see, preaching isn't just word-centered. Preaching isn't just persuasive, calling and drawing us into responses, personal responses to the glory of Christ. It is also understandable. Look there with me in the text. We see this in his prepositional phrase at the end of these five imperatives or five verbs. He says, with complete patience and teaching. Now, Pastor David's going to get up next week and he's going to help explain. There is some nuance in the scripture of the difference in preaching and teaching. But here, Paul's charging Timothy and he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all patience and teaching. And this idea, this word of teaching here, it means that it must be understood. We could go to the book of Nehemiah. We could look when Ezra, they had just finished the, building the temple and he read God's word to the people. They just didn't walk away. The priest walked around so that everybody understood what was said. And the same way, preachers' jobs is to make sure that the, the text of scripture is clearly understood. The word, teaching here, helps us to understand that if preaching is not well thought out, And spoken clearly, then it probably will not be understood very well. Reproofs and exhortations will not carry the same weight or be as effective as they could be if clear articulation and explanation are not there. We know God's word is profitable. He tells us that in chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures breathe out for God. And what is it? It's profitable for us. Well, we already do this every day in some capacity. We make sure people understand. We do this all the time in the human language. Right? This is why many of you, you just didn't wake up this morning and call your mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. Right? Hopefully you, you did some other type of gesture, something else you brought to her. You give her a necklace to remind her because you help her to want to understand something. The depth of it or the intensity of it. Let me give you a scenario. So this morning, if we're at the breakfast table at my house and and I get it from the table to head here to church to, to do the last couple things and pray and prepare for today. And if I were to say, man, I love eggs and coffee. Shelly, I love you. Rusty, it's my dog. I love you. And I were to walk out. What would happen in Shelly's mind potentially? Those eggs. And those Rusty. And I guess I'm somewhere in between. Because if something's not explained or it's not understood, what happens is the human mind, what it begins to do, it begins to make its own analytical assumptions about what things are. And the pastor's job is saying, he's not saying this here, and he is saying this here. So a better thing for me to be to do is to be like, I love eggs, I love Rusty, but Shelly, I love you the most. So she doesn't have to play this mind game of what did he mean. I want her to understand she is my greatest treasure apart from Christ. 
And so we do that naturally. And the preacher must do the same type of work. Because words left unclarified are left to the individual to be understood in any way that they want. Words left unclarified are left for the individual to understand any way they want. And so Paul charges Timothy, he says, with patience and teaching. So preaching is to be understood. To whom? As many and as best ways you can for the entire people that are present in the sound of your voice. It's to be understood to as many as possible. But this is also, right? Here comes a point of application. Ready? If you think you hear me say something and you're like, that didn't make sense. I don't think that's biblical. Your job is not to assume you heard correctly, but to come to the pastor and say, I thought I understood you to say this. Is that what you were saying? Because we give each other the benefit of the doubt, right? That, that you're already thinking about what's going on later today for Mother's Day. That I'm already thinking about, I gotta go home and I gotta do this and this and this because I don't wanna have to Shelly to do anything today, right? That this is the reality that we, we, we not only seek understanding when we preach, but you seek understanding when you listen. And guess what? We're gonna do a whole sermon on what's your job as the listener. Because the Bible tells us some of these things. We don't want anyone to mischaracterize God or mischaracterize his ways or his intentions or purposes in Christ. And so we seek to preach with understanding, teaching, explaining, giving analogies. So preaching is word-centered. Preaching is persuasive. It's, it's drawing you in. It's making you believe. It's not just the guy next to me. He's talking about me too. I'm part of the problem, but I'm also part of what I need to be doing, that there's a reality in all of this. And preaching is understandable. But primarily, and most of all, preaching is Christ-focused. But pay attention to this. For the long-term growth of God's people. Look, at, look back at the text with me. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all or complete what? Patience. Now, this is an interesting word. Why would he tell Timothy to preach with patience? Think about that for a second. Why would he do this? Because sometimes we are very hard listeners or very bad listeners. But what I love about this, what I think Paul is reminding, he says there's going to be patience, there's going to be people who want their ears itched and they may leave, but just be patient. Preach God's word. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Keep doing the work. But there's also a reality is that part of the Christian life is a life of weight. Life is a life of waiting. And we as a preachers, we preach God's word faithfully and continually. But as we preach, we wait. Why? Because I can't change you. I can plead. I can beg. I can pray. I can intercede. I can explain. I can help. But at the end of the day, God's spirit has to do his work in you. So we preach patiently. Knowing God will do his work and just like waiting in the Christian life, it's so that we are utterly dependent on God. 
Preaching has a long-term goal in mind when it's preaching. That's why we preach the whole counsel of God's Word, because it's going to hit everything that needs to be understood in the season of a life of a preacher. We have a long-term goal in mind. It's one of my hardest things. I read things. I'm like, oh, I could say this here. Oh, I could say this here. And I'm like, ah, i got to wait. That's going to be said next week, so I'm going to wait. And I'm, I'm going to say what's said here. And then next week, I'm going to say what's said there. And then we're going to keep going. It has a long-term growth in mind. But as we talked about last week, the Scriptures are Christ-focused. Go back up with me to verse 15 real quick, and I'm going to show you kind of the flow of thought so that we see Christ is still centered in what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do. Look at verse 15. He's in the midst of reminding him how to be steadfast and firm. And he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable. He's just basically said what? All of scripture is going to help bring us to an understanding of Christ and our salvation by faith in him. Preaching is Christ focused. Jesus Christ, the son of God, God in the flesh, his work on behalf of sinners, like each one of us. And the goal of every text is to point us to Christ. If you would, hold, hold your fingers there in Timothy or your bulletin and go really quickly to Romans chapter 16. I want you just to read this. Or it'll be on the screen if you've got your hands full of something else. <coughs> Romans chapter 16, we're going to read the, <clears throat> the, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, the doxology at the end. It says, Now to him, Christ, who is able to strengthen you, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Same word here, preaching that's used earlier, back in Timothy. But look what he says. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept from long ages ago, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever remain through Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? It says that Christ has always been the central point of what God has been doing. But it's only been understood, this mystery, after Christ's resurrection. Through his consummation that Christ was there with Abraham. There's other things and other points, but it's always Christ. We used Luke 24 last time on the Damascus Road. Paul says, when I preach, I just preach Christ and Him crucified. Brothers and sisters, we must see Christ in every text. Why? What happens if we don't? I think there's nothing more devastating to a church than hearing the word preached and Christ being absent. For so many reasons mentioned before. Because anytime Christ and all of his glory is not held up in preaching, something else will take the spotlight. If Christ is not held up, something else will take the spotlight. If a text reveals to our need for a priest, then brothers and sisters, you should hear about your great high priest, King Jesus. If the text reveals about some kind of distance we have from God, then we must be reminded of Jesus who draws us in, who calls us close. Preaching 
encourages us to obey, then we must also be reminded your only hope of obedience is the righteousness not your own, but given to you in Christ Jesus. If a text reveals our sins, then we must see Jesus as the one who became our sin on our behalf. Too often, good preaching that is not focused on Christ only brings some aspect of life change, but at the cost of eternity. For you alone have the words of what? Eternal life. One life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Preaching God's word must be centered on Christ. Preaching God's word must be focused on the text. Personally drawing, compelling people and understandable. Why? Because it will take us all of eternity to exhaust the fullness of the beauty of Christ. How beautiful is this church that today one of the things you can do is you pray for your pastors. You pray for not only your pastors, but that men will be raised up in our church who will take this charge given to Timothy and vicariously given to us as we preach God's word. That we would begin to treasure biblical preaching. That we would begin to cultivate homes that talk about the sermons well after it's past Sunday morning. That we would begin to patiently see the glory of God transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. This is a good calling. This is a good charge. Because Christ is everything we need. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.